you know, where you're at right now, you know, if I think, I think we have a great buying opportunity, you know, and if you're in a Metro where things are 25% off of their, um, their high watermark, um, you know, it might be worth getting a little aggressive on numbers. Welcome to The Real Deal, a commercial real estate investing podcast. I'm your host, Aman Shahi. There's a ton going on in the world right now, and much of it impacts real estate investors. The Real Deal podcast will take a look at what's happening and how it influences you as a real estate investor. Each episode is a 20-minute segment dedicated to distilling the day's most important news, so you can stay up to date on what's going on in the world and how it might affect the commercial real estate market. Welcome back to another episode of the Cashflow Capitalist Show. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Brian Briscoe. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I very much appreciate it. So tell us about yourself. Give us a 30-second introduction. Tell us who you are. Yeah, 30-second introduction. Born and raised in Salt Lake. Uh, five kids, been married for 25 years, spent 20 years in the military, um, retired two service. years ago. Thanks, man. Um, and you know, apartment investing was my exit plan from the, from the military. So I started, you know, two to three years before I hit my 20 year mark and was eligible for retirement. And, you know, since then, um, I co-founded a company that I left and then co-founded a second company. But since then I've been involved in about 1600 total units and, uh, that's where I'm at right now. Nice. So how did you even get to real estate when you like came from military have no idea what, what you want to do, how things are going to be. What was the first step? Yeah. So, so first step was trying to figure out, you know, um, one thing I learned early on in the military is you, you move every two to three years. Right. And so the, the traditional way of gaining wealth, you know, I, you know, I'd read books like, you know, the millionaire next door and whatnot. And, the conventional wisdom is you have to buy a house. You know, you buy a house and your equity increases over the years. And I realize if I'm moving every two to three years, you know, that's that's not always time to make up, you know, all the extra fees you have to pay to buy the house, you know. So um, so I started really thinking about okay, how can I how can I still build equity? And there, there's a lot of people in the military that have a um kind of a buy and hold mindset or a let's move, let's buy a place. And then when we move out two years later, we'll turn it into a rental. And so I started exploring that option. And, you know, over the, in 20 years, we were successful at doing that three times, you know, buying properties with the intent to rent them out after we, we moved. Um, and that's what got me started in real estate. Um, it was there, there was enough there that I, I really, I started realizing that, you know, there was a lot of benefit, a lot of potential. And, you know, from there, it just, it just snowballed, intentionally snowballed. And um, how did you even come across apartment investing? How, like multifamily, how did you even come, come across that? Because traditional real estate investing, everybody thinks like is buying a house, putting a rental. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's, that's what I had done. And I was trying to scale that model, you know, and, um, I was still active duty. I was deployed and, you know, just for the record, you know, my experience with deployments either have, you know, so much to do that you don't have a free minute or you have so little to do 
that you you're completely bored. You know, it, it's it's one or the other extremes, it seems. Um, but in 2017, I was on a deployment where I had about three hours of work to do every day. You know, I had one of those one of those roles, one of those jobs that was like a break glass in case of emergency. And so, um, being where we were, um, I didn't have access to Wi-Fi or internet. You know, but maybe once a month, you know, I'd go somewhere where I had like Wi-Fi, and every time I knew I was getting Wi-Fi, I would download as many books on real estate as I could, you know? And I mean, I would just do a search on Amazon real estate investing, and I would buy every book that was $5 or less, you know? And then I would pick one or two books that were, you know, the regular book price, you know, 15, 20, $30 or whatever. And then in the, in the one, you know, in, in the month between, you know, downloading all those books and the next time I'd have access to Wi-Fi, just go through and read what was on my, my Kindle at the time. Um, yeah. But, uh, how did I get into, to apartments? Well, the, the answer to that is I accidentally downloaded a book on apartments. You know, it must've been like $2 on Amazon and I, I downloaded a book on apartments and I remember, you know, when I, when I was sifting through the books after, you know, um, you know, figuring out what to read next. I'm like, I downloaded a book on apartments. I'm like, I'm not going to do apartments. And then I got, you know, two, three weeks later, I read through all the other books and I'm just like, okay, what's, what's next to read? I'm like, the only one I haven't read is that one on apartments. And uh, honestly, um, it was a very fortuitous mistake because, you know, that book really got me thinking about buying apartments and lo and behold, that's what I'm doing now. You know, um, many people still think buying apartment is something out of their reach. How how was your mindset when you have the book in front of you? Do I want to read it or not? Because this is something I don't know if I can do it. How how did you like tackle with the mindset at that time? Well, that was that was exactly my mindset, and that was exactly why I was um, <laughs> reluctant to read that book. You know, it was. Um, apartments are not accessible to me. And that book helped apartments become accessible for me, if that makes sense. You know, it was by Brandon Turner and I, I've since talked to him and I told him that story and his response wasn't what I was looking for. He's like, I'm sorry you had to read that. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, that's a terrible book. You know, I'm like, okay, you're right. It probably wasn't very well written, but it, it, unlocked something in my brain. It made apartments accessible to me. And so from there on out, it was just a matter of, okay, how, you know, how do I do this instead of, you know, and, and this, this was the progression from, you know, doing something that I knew, which was single family houses to figuring out how to do something, you know, a little bit bigger. Yeah. And as we know, like in uh, syndication, there are like multiple roles, capital raising, asset management, underwriting, finding the deals and acquisition. What was your, what is your main superpower that you wanted to um, more focus on that? Yeah, this is something I can do. You know, up front, I, I've, I've got two degrees in math and up front, I was, I was more focused on the, um, what do you call it? The, the, um, underwriting, underwriting and acquisitions. You know, I figured I could underwrite, you know, I can figure out how to work spreadsheets. I know formulas and everything else. 
Um, and I was very analytical. So, so that's what, what really got me started. Um, you know, but I think when, when we look at how things progressed, um, I was working at the Pentagon at the time and, you know, at, at the Pentagon, you know, I, I would, I would take, I would take my phone, stick it in a lockbox for the, you know, regular business hours. And I wouldn't, um, wouldn't be able to touch it again until later. I wouldn't be able to access my, my regular Gmail account or anything else while I was in, in the office. And so the way that progressed is I had a couple of partners and they basically fired me from being the acquisitions guy, you know, and they essentially said, Hey, look, you know, I mean, the honest, I, I mean, I found the first three and I made it work. And basically what they said was, Hey, look, you're, you're not available. You know, we, we need the acquisitions guy to be flexible. Um, there was another guy on our team that, you know, was, had a similar skill set, and he had a job that was a lot more flexible. So, you know, he ended up being the acquisitions guy and I, I moved into a capital raising role where, you know, really what, what I would do well was produce content. You know, I would, um, LinkedIn content, you know, video content, you know, you name it, I was producing content and that was bringing in, um, it was getting us a lot of recognition. You know, a lot of people were seeing us, a lot of people were hearing us and, you know, eventually, you know, started bringing in a lot of money. And so, um, I left that partnership in 22, about, about a year and a half ago and started my new thing. And right now, um, yeah, right now what, what we're looking at is, you know, focusing on one Metro in the Metro Salt Lake city and start starting to build, build up there. So, um, I would say my superpower is probably bringing people together and still, still really like, uh, um, creating content. So you mentioned Salt Lake City. I also read maybe like a couple of months ago, there's so many big private equity companies that are also targeting Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. What kind of challenges are you getting in finding the deals and bringing people together in Salt Lake City? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of private equity firms targeting Salt Lake City. I mean, when you when you get above a certain purchase price, it's large money and it's it's a much smaller purchase price than you're seeing in other other places, you know. So um yeah, I mean I, I saw a twenty million dollar deal get picked up by a hedge fund and you know, a lot of hedge funds won't touch deals that are that are that size. So I, I think Salt Lake is is a city it historically has been very conservative on a lot of things, you know, as far as, you know, growth and everything else. And so um, we were talking before the show, I think, you know, the average, it, it's not uncommon to, to meet somebody that has eight kids in Salt Lake City. And so, you know, there's a lot of future growth happening in Salt Lake City. You know, when you look at the, um, the aid, the population tree, which shows what ages people are, you have a big, um, a really large percentage of younger people. So, I mean, just, just a lot of good things happening in Salt Lake City. And yeah, a lot of private equity has figured that out. And, you know, a lot of pat- private equity is jumping into it. Um, saw a recent article that the California Pension Teachers CalPERS, I don't remember what the acronym is, but it's the California Pension System. Um, they bought a large apartment complex in Salt Lake, you know. And so, you know, if, if, if they're buying stuff in Salt Lake, you know, I, I'd hate to, I'd have to say there, there's something good about Salt Lake, but you know, I, I do like it for lots of reasons. Even they're not buying in California. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
they, they're not buying in California, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, California, you, when you look at the landlord tenant laws, it's kind of crazy to be a landlord there. Uh, Utah is the opposite. Um, actually, I didn't know this until just recently, but um, this was my me helping my daughter out with her lease. She had a, a property manager enter her apartment without permission, you know, while she wasn't home. And it turns out that that's actually legal in Salt Lake. I mean, the landlord tenant rules are so landlord friendly. Um, so, and I actually looked up the law and what the law said is, you know, landlords should provide previous notice, you know, 24 hours is, is generally deemed sufficient. Um, but there was a caveat. It says, unless otherwise stated in the lease, you know, and I went to her lease and the lease that, that she signed said that the landlord can enter at any time, which is, um, so that's, that's how friendly it is. Um, being a tenant there, I wouldn't want that in my lease, but you know, super landlord friend, friendly. Um, yeah. And, and so there, there's lots of good things about salt. Like the, the growth is, is off the charts. Um, both population growth and economic growth. I think those are the two biggest indicators. And then it is a, a red state and very landlord friendly. Yeah. Don't you think is, is, that's uh, some sort of invasion of privacy. Some property manager can just come at any time. You know, it's, it's not a good way to keep tenants, you know, um, this, this particular case, it was a mom and pop. It was just some random guy that bought a fourplex. He was not a professional manager. Um, he, he stopped by the property just to check up on it, you know? And, um, you know, I, I've, I've talked with him several times, um, over just different stuff and he's, he's a first time property manager. So I would not recommend it. I would definitely not recommend, you know, going to your tenant's place and, you know, just walking in whenever you want. But, uh, um, and then, yeah, my, my daughter was not super happy when, when she found out either. But, uh, anyway, that's, that's just kind of an illustration of how landlord friendly the state is. Nice. And if you connecting the investors to invest in Salt Lake City, do you get the investor like all over the place or are you targeting mostly who lives in Salt Lake City? Because I also know that there are so many big private equity companies who have their family offices, they're where they're getting the capital from also in the Salt Lake City. You know, it's Salt Lake City is, is still, um, a lot of people view Salt Lake as a small city still and a lot of people just don't know about it. Um, so one of the issues we're having is, um, when, when you look at a lot of the multifamily reports over the last couple of years, they've all said sunbelt, 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 right? Um, and so a lot of people are familiar with investing in Phoenix and Dallas and Houston and Atlanta and, and the other sunbelt markets, um, that, you know, we're, we do have a hard time competing with, you know, dollars outside of the state. And, and most of the time, it's an education issue. Most of the time, it's a, well, I've seen you, po hey, Brian, I've seen you post a lot about Salt Lake City, but I'm not comfortable enough yet investing there. If you had a deal in Houston or Dallas or Atlanta right now, you know, I'd invest. And so, so for, for people outside of Salt Lake, you know, um, I think you, you have to, you have to sell an investor on you as a deal sponsor first and then the Metro. That's, that's, that's how I think it works, you know, and I, I think I've done a fairly good job at selling myself as, 
you know, being a responsible sponsor. Um, but yeah, the next step, and this is, this is something I was talking to my, uh, one of my, my teammates about this morning is we need to put more educational material out there about Salt Lake city. Um, so to go back to your question, what are, we are focusing on getting investors from Salt Lake city. That is 100% our focus. Um, but we do take investors from everywhere. When I, um, I use LinkedIn a lot for my, for marketing. Um, we, we do have some other marketing campaigns that are specific to Salt Lake city, but you know, when I blast things out on LinkedIn, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't target specifically the Salt Lake city crowd. So I do have a lot of, a lot of investors. I think the last deal we had, we had investors from 25 different States. Um, we just filed our blue sky stuff. And I think, I think 25 was the number. So about half the country. Yeah. There are so many new laws by SEC every day coming out. And um, how do you build the relationships with investors and how do you strengthen them that they come and listen to you, follow you, invest with you? Uh, consistency is the answer. Um, you know, I, I got a text from somebody this morning and I've, I've known him for several years, you know, and when I say several, over 20 is the answer. Um, we, we were neighbors when, when I was stationed in Okinawa and that was 2023. So I've, I've known him for 20 years now. And the text goes like this, Hey Brian, you know, I've been following you for a long time and I'm finally ready to invest in apartments. All right. Now he was, he was a, a military buddy of mine. Um, we were stationed together in Okinawa. We were stationed together a couple of years later in, in North Carolina and our paths have crossed, you know, many times over the last, you know, 20 years. And, you know, a lot of it is just drips, you know, dr a lot of drops in the bucket at times. Now there are other cases, you know, where, you know, you meet people for the first time on, on LinkedIn and, you know, 90% of my marketing right now is on LinkedIn and we're trying to, you know, change the, the number. So we're, we're doing other marketing activities, but, you know, so, you know, when, when that, that constant putting content out, you know, whether it's the podcast, whether it's our, our YouTube channel, whether it's, you know, what I'm posting on LinkedIn, you know, people start following you and they start seeing you over and over again. So really the, the relationships, you know, for me starts with, with the marketing, you know, you, you market enough and people see you, they get familiar with you. They start warming up to you. And now when they're ready to invest, you know, they, they start reaching out to the people that are, are the household names. And, um, another really stupid example, I drink monster energy drinks because I've been drinking them for a long time. There's probably... 40 different drinks out there that are much better, but I know, I know what I'm getting here, but, but it's a anyway. lot of caffeine. Yeah. It is a lot of caffeine. Yeah. I don't want to tell you on the podcast. I would be like, I drink a lot of caffeine in the morning before going to gym. And I know that what you're talking about. So, and if you talk about nowadays, it's very hard to find the deals properly because of the way economy is going interest, high interest rate. What are your opinions on that? Well, with, with the high interest rates, I, I think there's a lot of sellers that don't have to sell right now. And I think that's why it's really hard to find deals is you have two two types of sellers. You have 
sellers right now that have to sell. And when I say have to sell, they're usually like in some sort of interest rate crunch, you know, where um, either their loans coming due or their, their interest rates adjusting or something like that. Um, and, and those are the ones that have to sell. And that's usually where you're going to be able to, to connect. And then you have a lot of apartment investors that are just, you know, they, they have a number in mind. And if you don't hit their number, they're not going to sell, you know. And so those are the ones where, um, I mean, we've seen same properties, you know, when we when we're talking with brokers, you know, we, we keep a list of all the properties we underwrite. And, you know, we, we had an offer out last week where we found out that we um, did not get the offer accepted. And so we went back to our drawing board and the first thing we do is we look at our, our list of properties that we've underwritten and, okay, we, we, what other ones did we like? And we would go back out to brokers. And one thing that, that I've seen in Salt Lake over the last year is a lot of the things in our buy box just haven't moved. You know, it's like, so we're asking the brokers, hey, is that still available? And it's like, yep, still available. Hasn't sold yet. You know, and so what's what's happening is the sellers that don't have to sell are able to be patient. You know, they're able to, to wait and get their price. And if they're cash flowing and able to pay all the bills, there's there's no reason for them to sell right now. So um, really to to be able to make to make things work, you have to find either a seller that's a little bit more motivated to sell, or you have to get a little more aggressive with your numbers. And I think uh you know, where we're at in the economy right now, um, depending on where you're at, you know, multifamily prices have slid up to 30% over the last two years. Um, some areas are a lot less, but I think 30 is probably the most extreme, you know, where you're at right now, you know, if I think, I think we have a great buying opportunity, you know, and if you're in a Metro where things are 25% off of their, um, their high watermark, um, you know, it might be worth getting a little aggressive on numbers. So what do you recommend in this today's economy? Should some people focus on um, bridge debt or fixed debt? You know, the, the debt has to match the deal. All right. I, I don't think there there's an easy answer for that one. Um, when you bring in bridge debt, you can get bridge debt with fixed interest rate. Right. Um, we've got a couple of bridge loans with fixed interest rates. It's usually from the, the um, smaller banks and credit unions. Um, but we have had some bridge products with fixed interest rate. Really, I think the answer comes down to the loan has to match your business plan and afford you some flexibility on the exit. Right. If you get a fixed rate loan right now, which, you know, most of your permanent debt is, is fixed rate, you know what you're getting. You know, um, the downside to your fixed rate loans is they will typically come with a prepayment penalty and that prepayment penalty can be pretty stiff. Right. And so, I mean, but you know what you're getting, you know, I mean, when you sign the papers, it's, it's written in there, you're going to have X interest rate for this amount of time. And here is the prepayment, you know, schedule. And so, when, when you're looking at the the bridge products, which have variable interest rate, um, there's a lot more flexibility on the sales side. You don't have, largely, you don't have the prepayment penalties. So it's almost a pay me now or pay me later type. But yeah, with, with the bridge debt, um, they typically, you know, the, the, the rate can vary. Your payment can go as high as 
you know, rates go. So there's, there's a little bit more unknown there, but you know, I, I think, I think there's a, there's still a place for bridge debt. And I, I would prefer to have fixed rates, you know, in most situations, but there's, I think there's always a, pra- a place for some, some bridge debt. And um, Feds also mentioned that next year they're going to slash the rates for like three times. Mm-hmm. And expectations are by 2025, we're going to have a 4.7%. Mm-hmm. So what are your plans for 2024? Um, plan for 2024 is the same as 2023. We're going to keep on underwriting deals and where it makes sense, we're going to jump in. Uh, I think 2024, if if rates come down, there's going to be more people on the buy side and there's going to be more people on the sell side, right? So um, we're going to have to be a little bit more nimble within deals. Um, you know, right now in today's market, you know, I've seen a couple of properties and once again, our, our buy box, we, we have a very narrow buy box. We're talking, you know, five to $15 million on, on deals right now. Um, but where our buy box is, most of the properties that we've seen haven't closed, right? And so, we could take our time, you know, we could wait six months, circle back and say, Hey, is that seller seller still wanting to sell? Um, what I see in the future is yeah. As rates come down, buyers are going to be willing to pay more, which mean, you know, people, the sellers that were patient, you know, it's, it's going to be more likely that they, that the buyers hit their numbers. And as soon as the buyers start hitting the seller numbers, you know, we're going to see a lot more transaction volume and things are just going to start speeding up. Um, so, you know, what, what I'm, what I'm looking at is, uh, in 2023, we did a lot of loan assumptions. I closed on 10 properties in 2023. Um, three of them had new debt. So seven out of 10 were loan assumptions. Right. And I, I think in 2024, you know, we'll still get a loan assumption out there, but as, as time goes on, you know, the, the loan assumptions are getting, you know, less and less viable because, more time has passed since they, you know, people have locked in that three point three point something percent rate. Um, so I, I think we'll be able to do better at hitting prices with new debt than existing debt. Um, but yeah, I think the biggest thing for us specifically, and this is, you know, not generalized to the whole United States. This is, you know, Salt Lake City market, you know, B class value adds, um, we are going to have to be a little bit more nimble. We're going to have to be faster getting our offers in um, and faster getting everything wrapped up and closed. If somebody wants to get into real estate in today's market, which is like really, really confusing for many people, and what advice do you want to give to somebody, that person who wants to get into real estate? Yeah, so I, I would say understand why. You know, what, what are your goals? Okay, and not, not your real estate goals. What are your financial goals? You know, why do you want to get into real estate? And I think if you can clearly define what you're trying to achieve out of real estate, it's a lot easier to chart a path. You know, if your goal is to just get into real estate, um, I I think that's the wrong, you know, wrong way of approaching it. So I I would say figure out what you want to get out of real estate. Um, And once you decide what you want to get out of real estate, you know, now you're you you've probably narrowed the field down from a thousand different ways to invest to maybe twenty different ways to invest. So that that's first, and then from there, I mean, it's it's a matter of you know time and money. You know, you're most people have one but not the other. Um, but 
depending on how much time you have as a resource and how much money you have as a resource, um, that could also, you know, make a couple different strategies stand out, you know? So, um, I syndicate, you know, um, the more money you have, the easier it is to syndicate, but you don't need money. You do need time. So I want to make a comment. Um, in the morning around before going to gym, I was watching this video of Jim Rohn. He said, there are like four questions you need to figure out to get the success. First is why, why you want to do this? Why not? Third is why not you? And then why not now? And why not now? Yep. I've heard that one before. Yeah. I'm like, yes, yeah, why not? Really powerful. Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, I, I was in a, I, I'm in a mastermind and, uh, has a very coaching flair. And yesterday they, they were talking about, um, setting goals and the biggest contributor to whether somebody follows through with their goals is, you know, why it's not the, what it's never the, what it's, it's, it's the, why. You know, so if you've got that solid why, you know, you're going to be much more successful at achieving anything, you know, because the what, I mean, here, here's the reality, you know, anything that's worth doing is going to take a lot of time and effort. And if you don't have a really good why attached, when you start getting into that grind and that time and effort, you know, it, it's going to be really easy to stop doing stuff, really easy to say, Psh, man, this is hard. Why do you want to get into real estate? And I think if you can clearly define what you're trying to achieve out of real estate, it's a lot easier to chart a path. You know, if your goal is to just get into real estate, um, I I think that's the wrong, you know, wrong way of approaching it. So I I would say, figure out what you want to get out of real estate. Um, And once you decide what you want to get out of real estate, you know, now you're you you've probably narrowed the field down from a thousand different ways to invest to maybe twenty different ways to invest. So that that's first, and then from there, I mean, it's it's a matter of you know time and money. You know, you're most people have one but not the other. Um, but depending on how much time you have as a resource and how much money you have as a resource, um, that could also you know make a couple different strategies stand out. You know, so. Um, I syndicate, you know, um, the more money you have, the easier it is to syndicate, but you don't need money. You do need time. The same like, why you want 10,000? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm worthy of the 10,000, but yeah. Why not? Why not me? And why not now? I can do it, you know, and I can do it now, but yeah, you, you still need the, uh, you still need that, that engine, the fuel for that fire. And before we wrap this up, I have two more questions. First one is, what is your morning routine as an entrepreneur? Yeah, my, my morning routine, unfortunately, has, has kind of been in flux. Um, you can't see it, but I got a big wall calendar to my right where I put X's on. Um, I was doing Miracle Morning really, really well for, amazingly, starting in January last year, January, February, March, April, May, June. And then sometime in July, the X's just start disappearing. Right. But, uh, um, that, that's something that right now, you know, this, the week between Christmas and new years, I really sit down and try to figure out what my perfect day looks like. And, um, I'm going to be retooling the morning routine a little bit. Uh, there are certain things about the morning, you know, and, 
Hal Elrod, great, great author. I love the Miracle Morning, but there, there are certain things in there that weren't, you know, so miraculous for me. So I'll be, I'll be retooling that one and, and starting it again. But it's, it's going to look very similar to the Miracle Morning. Um, but it's going to be a, a Brian Briscoe version of it. Nice. And if today is the last day on this planet, what's the one thing that you want to do? Well, not be on a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, maybe what about tomorrow? It's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tomorrow's Friday. Gosh. I I mean, if today is my la- last day on my planet, I'd want to spend it with uh, my wife and kids is all. You know, I, I don't really care what we're doing. Um, something that would be memorable is all, you know, um, you know, not, not sitting on the couch with, with phones out. And I guess that, that tells us, tells me what we should be doing every day is, you know, not sitting on the couch with phones out. Nice. And, um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, where can they reach out to you? LinkedIn is definitely the best place to do that. Um, just look me up on LinkedIn and, you know, if we're, if we're connected, you know, just reach out via messaging. If we're not connected, connect. And um, I'm usually pretty good at reaching out to people who connect with me, you know, through through LinkedIn as well. And I'll make sure I put that on show notes. And, uh, and thank you so much, Brian, for your time and for your, for your wisdom. And I really appreciate that. And I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Right. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on The Real Deal, a commercial real estate investing podcast, the show that covers everything to do with multifamily real estate investing to help you become an expert in your real estate ventures. We're here to help you create passive income and financial freedom so that you can achieve what you want whenever you want. We'll catch you next time on The Real Deal.